Acts. Um, we are uh, working our way verse by verse through the book of First Timothy. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you locate First Timothy chapter 5. We're going to uh, finish up chapter 5 today. Uh, last week we looked at widows, and we learned that the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, Spirit, has a huge heart for widows. So we better too. And hopefully you've been given some thought about a widow around you that you can adopt and love on and take under your wing and, and make sure that she's taken care of by, uh, by God's people. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, God's instrument for accomplishing his eternal plan in history. And so I just ask, what is God's instrument? What is God's tool to accomplish his eternal plan in history? Anybody know? What is it? It's, it's the church. God's plan to reach and change the world, his tool to uh, determine history and get his eternal plan accomplished is the church. And today, specifically, we're going to look at the human leaders who uh, are responsible before the Lord to lead and direct his church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, the last several verses, it's kind of the essentials. How do you keep the human leaders uh, healthy, the spiritual leaders in the local church? How do you maintain their spiritual and physical health? And uh, specifically this morning, we're going to look at pastors, Jonathan. Can you believe it? We're going to talk today about pastors. So this is kind of weird Sunday because it's kind of like throwing a surprise birthday party for yourself. Uh, I'm going to talk about pastors, but you know, we're working through verse by verse, so we're not going to duck this one. We're going to talk about it today. Uh, we're going to talk about pastors whose full-time job or ministry is to direct the local church. Uh, so uh, again, like I did last week, I started off by asking, Lord, uh, how does this apply to everybody? I mean, last week I said, Lord, there's 10 or 15 widows. Uh, how does this apply? And, and uh, we saw that there is application. Today, you know, this passage applies to Pastor Bob and Pastor Jason Lowen and Pastor Tim and Pastor Jason Ritchie over at East Jordan and, and myself. So, Lord, how does this relate to all of us here? Um, well, first of all, let me give you first some, some big answers to that. Um, this was written by the Apostle Paul to be applied by Timothy to the church at Ephesus. And I want you to know there's application here, not just for the church at Ephesus, but for the church at Walloon Lake, for the local church at East Jordan, for all biblical local churches, there's application here. Uh, secondly, you're going to get some real practical instruction today on how the Lord expects the church to treat a pastor. So pay attention, and, and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not all, oh, you're so wonderful. It's not that, all that at all, huh? So uh, clear expectations about how you're to treat Pastor Bob and Pastor Tim and Pastor J-Lo and Pastor J-R and Pastor P.J., Myself, okay? So, so you're going to get some clear instruction on how uh, the Lord expects us to uh, treat pastors. And third, when pastors get themselves in trouble, 
Yes, that does happen. Uh, clear advice on how the church is to deal with a pastor who's gone over the guardrail and crashed and burned. Um, thankfully, we're not in the middle of that right now, but, but now's the best time, wouldn't you agree, to talk about it? Not after a pastor's gone, well, how are we supposed to deal with this? We should study that ahead of time to be prepared and to be warned so maybe that doesn't happen. And uh, finally, this section has application for all leaders. So uh, you may not be a leader in the church, but maybe you're a leader on the job. This, this has application for the workplace. Uh, students, this has application for how to deal with fellow students. This has application if you are on the Little League board, if you're on the library board, if you're on the school board, if you're on the parent-teacher committee board, uh, um, if you're on the church board. There's lots of ways this applies, and this section applies to all of us here today. So having said that, let's stand together. We'll read out loud the instructions for keeping the church and its pastors healthy and on track. Start with verse 17. We'll read down through the end of chapter 5. You ready? Out loud, let's declare God's word together. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Lord, uh, today I'm asking that as we talk about your church and uh, your plan to reach and change this world, Lord, I, I pray that you might show us how we're to operate in your church. Lord, it's an adventure to be a part of your plan and your kingdom and your church. And thank you, Lord, for the family that you've brought together, that you've knit together through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And, uh, Lord, we're aware that uh, if we're following you, if we're your disciples, we're aware that we have an enemy. We, uh, we recognize that Satan hates your church, and Satan would love to destroy and discredit your church. We, we're reminded, Lord, that we're, we're in a battlefield. We're at war. So, Lord, help us to be aware of the fiery darts and... Uh, all that Satan is trying to do to scheme and divide and accuse and attack. So, Lord, I pray for your church specifically here at Walloon Lake and in East Jordan as well. Help us, Lord, to pay close attention 
Um, I suspect that there are some here who are sleepy and they don't have enough sleep. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'd wake them up. <laughs> and, uh, Lord, those that uh, have minds that are easily distracted and there's things going on uh, that we might be tempted to think of and chew on and allow our minds to drift, Lord, help us to focus this morning. Help us to listen very closely to what you have to say to us personally and corporately today in your church. Um, like, like we do every Sunday, we invite your spirit, Lord, to be welcomed in your church. Uh, teach us today from your book. Lord, show us specifically how uh, we are to maintain the health of the human leaders you've put in your church. And all the church gathered at Walloon said in unison, you may be seated. I must disclose to you that I have some favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, for the past 26 years, I've especially appreciated children obey your parents. That's been one of my favorites. Um, for the past 31 years, I've really enjoyed wives submit to your husbands. And I especially like verses 17 and 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of, what is it? Double honor, yeah, yeah. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Uh, and then um, the analogy is pastors are like ox. Uh, and migrant workers. Uh, anyway, uh, just think on that, Selah. Uh, don't muzzle him and, and give, give the worker what he's due, okay? The elders here, there's a specific word, um, could be translated presbyters, Presbyterian as we get our word. Uh, it, it literally comes from the word that was speaking of the synagogue rulers. And uh, literally the synagogue leader who would direct the affairs of the synagogue, that word was adopted here and has been applied and is used as elder. So again, I want you to understand he's talking about those in the church whose full-time duties, job, um, is to take care of the affairs of the church. Uh, this could apply not just to pastors. This would apply to missionaries. This would apply to parachurch workers, uh, those who uh, work in, in, in things uh, that are of a Christian nature, like Uncle Roger, who, uh, who is a parachurch organization. But they're also a, a form of a missionary, okay? So, go back to uh, the text, verse 17. Those whose pastors, those pastors, those elders who direct well, pause. The word direct means more than just efficient. It means to work hard. Those who are giving their all, who are doing well, who are effective, who are working hard, verse 17 says they are worthy of double honor. Which means double pay, right? <laughs> Not, <laughs> I wish. It doesn't. Uh, it, it literally means pay them well, because the word there. Uh, comes from our word honorarium, honor them, honorarium, pay them well, but the double part comes, don't just pay them appropriately, but 
show them respect, and show them appreciation. That's the double honor, okay? So, so pay them appropriately, but also show respect and appreciation if they're doing a good job, if they're working hard. And then, again, verse 18, Paul quotes both Moses and Jesus. Moses, Deuteronomy 25, 4, um, if God is concerned about working animals, the ox, uh, he's even more concerned about workers in his church. That's the idea. And then he quotes Jesus, Luke 10 and verse 7, pay the church worker the wages they deserve. Again, Paul, I, I just don't think I would uh, throw a surprise birthday party for myself. I wouldn't normally go here. But, but again, since we're working through, um, let's, let's apply what, uh, what Paul is teaching Timothy here. Okay, here we go. Uh, my experience here at Walloon, listen closely, is the local church here at Walloon does well on this account. My experience, my 22 years, you folks have done well at taking good care of the full-time pastors. Yearly, the board and the financial committee, they uh, have a guidebook, a, a pretty objective standard, and it looks at financial compensation for churches all around the country, and then churches of our size, churches of our, in our geographic region, churches of similar budgets, and, and then they take that into consideration. Again, I would say, my opinion, this church does really well at staying current and fair and generous with pastors. And I just need to say, well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. But the challenge here, and, and this is sometimes what we don't talk about, what do you do when a pastor or a missionary is not doing well? That really is the hard one, right? Um, it, it's nice to think that every pastor and every missionary does well, but when they're not effective and they're not working out well and they're not studying and directing satisfactorily, what do you do then? And, and this is hard. But equally true from verses 17 and 18, you ready? Is when that's the case, they're not worthy of support. They, they shouldn't be continuing on and, and just continuing on pulling in a salary when, when it's really not working well and they're not directing well and they're not studying well and, it, and they're not really effective at what they're doing. So here's the principle, you ready? Pastors who do well, who are effective, who are working hard, should be honored. Pay them well, appreciate and respect them. But those that aren't doing well, who are ineffective and doing poorly, are you ready? These are hard. Don't support them. They should move along because the resources are limited and the kingdom and the church is too important to have ineffective workers continuing on and, and pulling in the resources. Make sense? Well, what about a pastor who gets himself in trouble? What do you do then? What about a pastor and there's criticism and there's accusations regarding a pastor? Verse 19, here we go. Here's what it says. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Verse 20. Those who sin 
are to, those who sin are to be rebuked how? So that others may take warning. Uh, I charge you, this is strong, I charge you in the sight of God and in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions, Timothy, without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but occasionally I really tick people off by what I preach and teach. That, that's hard to believe, isn't it? Right, Bill? But, but it's true. Um, so this instruction for me is huge. And if followed, it uh, provides a lot of protection. Um, the idea of two or three witnesses, listen closely, comes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament law said you don't listen to accusations, you don't listen to critical thoughts unless it comes from two or three witnesses. You might want to write this down, Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy 19.15, that's where this is drawn from, the idea of two or three witnesses. And I, I wish we had time, but we don't. I'd love to go back there with you. But here's the idea. If you're accusing someone of doing something wrong, they've, they've offended you, they've sinned against you, first, there must be more than one accuser, especially against a church leader. But in the Old Testament, that regarded anybody. Had to be more than one piece of evidence. Secondly, they must stand before the one they accuse and make their case. In other words, they can't just quietly tell somebody and then kind of hang in the background. No, no. they got to step up and make their case publicly. Make sense? Uh, thirdly, they must be willing, if it's a capital offense, are you ready for this? If what they are accusing the other person is, is a crime worthy of death, they have to be willing to throw the first stone. <laughs> now that's strong, isn't it, Peter? Uh, so I, I, I believe this so strongly and I know it to be true so much that I'm willing to throw and fire the first stone to put judgment on this person. And finally, verse uh, 18 of Deuteronomy 19, this is interesting. And if the accuser or the witnesses are proven to be liars, if what they are accusing this person of, if, if it comes out that they've just lied and they've manufactured this, then whatever punishment would have been the one they are accusing of goes on them. Wouldn't that cut down on, on a whole lot of gossip? Wouldn't that cut down on a whole lot of things that we say to other people? If what we're saying proves to be true, then judgment comes on me. And I'm just telling you, this principle is huge. The application is powerful. And if you're taking notes, let, let me just say this strong. That means... No anonymous accusations. No anonymous criticisms. And if you've been in the business of listening to, well, they say, well, they said, here, here's the first question you've got to ask. You ready? Who are they? And typically, here's how, well, I'm not sure that they would want me to mention their name. Ever heard that one? I'm not sure that they would be pleased if I told you who they are. Um, well, you know, then the response needs to be, well, if they are not willing to uh, accuse in a biblical manner, then they lose the biblical standing to be heard. That needs to be our response in church. 
I'm telling you, this is big. No anonymous accusations. It's the power, Larry Osborne, uh, one of my favorite preachers, calls this the power of they. And doesn't, oh, they think that Pastor Bob, and it's almost always negative. You ever heard that? They. And you say, well, who are they? And if you actually dig in, it's usually two people and somebody's wife. Uh, they, oh, and it sounds like there's a huge course. They. No, no, excuse me. Uh, uh, no, if, if they don't have the courage to step up and say what their problem is or go to Pastor Bob or go to PJ and talk, then they don't have biblical standing to be heard. Sorry, we don't listen to anonymous criticisms or accusations. Um, I've been doing this for a lot of years. Let me help you out. And this works at school. This works on the job site. This works at home. Works in the neighborhood. Works on a board. Are you ready? When someone comes to you and they've got a beef against someone else, uh, this time we'll use Pastor Tim, okay? Because we already used Bob, okay? Um, I don't like uh, the music's too loud and, and I think he should be fired or something ugly like that, okay? That would never, we've never heard that one. But just in case, uh, here's, here's what I do. Let's go talk to Pastor Tim and let's see if we can't get this worked out together. And almost always, no, 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 no. I'm, it's not that big of a deal. Um, so it's not a big enough deal to go and talk and work it out, but it's a big enough deal to spread cancer amongst the body. C can I just plead with you all? When someone wants to just fill your ear with negativity about someone, just grab them by the hand. And, and occasionally, they're going to have something that's valid. Well, that's even more important to go work it out. Wouldn't you agree? It's even more important than to go to that person and, and let's get this figured out. And, and let's work it out. And let's just erase the criticism and the ugliness, the bitterness. <laughs> I, I just would, would implore you, whenever you hear ugly, accusing, critical words, Come on, let's go, let's go talk to them. I, I'm sure that, that Kevin Cleavorn would love to hear that, and we'll work it out with you. Uh, again, it's common, and, and, and I would love, can, can I implore you, I would beg you, if you hear somebody who's upset at me, grab them by the hand and bring them. Let's have a good talk. Uh, let's prayerfully work this through. I'm telling you, that's how churches operate. That's how Boards. That's how workplaces work effectively. Uh, no anonymous ugliness on the side. We're going to go and we're going to work it out. That, that's the principle here. Okay? Now, um, we're going to give Christian leaders the benefit of the doubt. And if there's something valid, um, then obviously that needs to be weighed. It's not that sometimes what people are saying there isn't validity to. Sometimes there is. So when, when it's been weighed, and sure enough, it's valid, what do you do then? Verse 20, he continues on. We're not done yet. Those pastors who sin, now this is interesting. You don't get this in the English, but the Greek word here is present, continuous, active sinning. In other words, they're sinning, and they're continuing to sin, and they don't make any plans of changing that. Does that actually happen? You better believe it. 
They're, 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 I know of situations where they're sinning and they're involved in sin and they make no plans. There's refusal to repent and confess their sin. And uh, they remain in their sin. So what do you do when they're sinning, present, continuous, active, right now sinning, and they have no desire to change? Verse 20, here's what you do. Rebuke them publicly so that others may take warning. This is a message to the church. This is a message to other pastors this is a message to other church leaders, and here's the message. Man, if they're willing to treat the pastor that way and make known that he's sinning and he won't re- repent, then I better straighten up because I better watch my life because they do the same with me. It's a warning to everybody, but most of the time, sadly, churches duck on this one. Most of the time, a pastor's sinning, and I can think of two or three examples, and it's sad, but in all of the examples I can think of where a pastor has gone brain dead, he, he ran off with some little sweet thing down the road, and now they've went to him, and no, no, uh, I'm staying with her, and I don't want to be married to her anymore, and the church almost always attempts to sweep it under the rug, and almost always Let's ignore it and move on and pretend it really didn't happen because we don't want to talk about it. And we don't want to muddy the name of our church, and we certainly don't want to sully the name of Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you? The Lord's Word tells us what to do here. And we think, again, that's legalism. We think we're smarter than God's book when I think I can help God out here, and we're going to duck and we'll just say, well, Pastor so-and-so's got some personal issues and he's had to move on and won't be the pastor anymore. You know what that does in a church? I'll tell you. It, rumor and speculation and confusion reigns and nobody takes the warning. Nobody learns from this awful example. This is how important this is to Paul, that this take place, that you make it public when they refuse to repent. Look at verse 21. He can't be any stronger. I charge you, Timothy, in the sight of God the Father. I'm calling as my witnesses God the Father, God the Son, and all of the elect angels. That's about as strong. They are my witnesses. Timothy, you better deal with the accusations of a pastor in a fair and an impartial way, but you better do it as I've just laid out, is what he's saying. You better not duck on this one. Most commentators believe the church at Ephesus was ducking. Uh, There were some pastors, some leaders in the church at Ephesus, and they were involved in sin, and they weren't repenting, and they were shown favoritism. They weren't weren't told that, that they've sinned. The ugly stuff was covered up. And he's saying, no, no. You better make sure you do this. And I'm calling God the Father, God the Son, and all the elect angels as my witness how you better do it. Verse 22. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't share in the sins of others. You know the way that you keep yourself out of a lot of this garbage, he says to him? Uh, Make sure you apply the biblical standards. 
Just hold your spot and go back to chapter 3, would you? Just for a moment. Because we spent a few weeks ago an entire Sunday about the biblical standards for elders, verses 1 to 7. So if you look there, what he's saying is, I've just given you all the details. Make sure before you make somebody an elder, especially a full-time pastor, that they qualify. And that will keep you out of this mess most of the time. Make sure they're the type of people that verses 1 to 7 lays out. Make sense? Okay. Last three verses of chapter 5 are saying that pastors are human and weak and frail and goofy and prone at times to be wrong. Can I get an amen there? It's your chance. I'll give you another run at that, okay? Because it should be kind of fun. You know, pastors, we are human and weak and frail and prone to be goofy, and we are prone at times to just be wrong. Can I get an amen there? Okay, here's the point. Are you ready? You get your eyes on me. You get your eyes on Pastor J-Lo. You get your eyes on Pastor Bob or Pastor Tim. Are you ready? Just give us enough time. And we'll fail you. We will mess up. I promise you. Get your eyes on us, and and, in time, we're going to mess up and fall down. And and I just need to remind you that we are the messengers. We are not the message. We are are the keepers and the human helpers, but we are not the boss, and we are not the king. That title belongs only to Jesus Christ. I can't say this loud or strong enough. Are you ready? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Make sure you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. The problems come is when people focus too much on the messenger instead of the message. When we focus too much on the human leaders who are just messengers and not on the message, the book, and the focus of the message is Jesus Christ. That's when we get ourselves in trouble. Exhibit A, Goofy Timothy, verse 23. Here we go. Tim, Tim, keep yourself pure and stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. You need to know that the water in biblical times, just like the water in much of the world today, is awful. Filled with bacteria, parasites, lots of dysentery. Um, Best way not to get sick, biblical times, was to add some wine to your water to kill the germs. That's basically what he's saying here. Tim, Tim, uh, you're not doing what's clearly everybody else is doing. They know if you just drink the water, you're going to get sick. But it seems likely that Tim was trying to avoid criticism. If you go back a page, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, we talked about the legalists, and uh, it seems likely that Timothy was attempting to avoid criticism from the legalists, and he was therefore risking his health to avoid any confrontations with these legalistic teachers. So I I don't want any trouble with them, so uh, I'm not just going to go anywhere near any alcohol. 
And Paul says, the wine for you, Timothy, is medicine. Think of it as medicine. Take a little Pepto-Bismol, if you will. Take a little medicine so you can heal your body. It's important. Let me give you a couple thoughts, okay? I could go on an hour on this verse, but I'm not going to. Uh, This verse is kind of contentious, in case you didn't know that. Um, First, are you ready? This was real wine that he was suggesting that he partake of. Uh, Some folks would like to think this was take a little Welsh's grape juice for your stomach, and, and that's just not being honest. The word oikos, wine, means fermented drink. Um, I'm sorry, it it wasn't Welsh's grape drink. Um, However, you need to know, this was before modern fermentation distillation process, and and I want you to know, much weaker than the wine today, and uh, not strong drink, which is always condemned, always condemned in the Bible. Secondly, are you ready? Newsflash, northern Michigan, we are blessed with great water. Did you know that? One of the things we have in abundance, I would argue maybe Michigan's most precious resource, humanly speaking, is our water. We have amazing water. So don't go using this verse as your excuse, okay? If you're living in Haiti, maybe. That's not the case for us, okay? Thirdly, I want you to know, as your pastor I've chosen to abstain from alcohol. I've chosen to limit my freedom in this area for the sake of weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. I have chosen that to limit my freedom because I know people would see me and say, well, you know, if Pastor Jeff can have a bud, then then I'm pretty sure I can. And that might not be true for them. That might destroy them. I choose to abstain for the sake of weaker brothers and sisters. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm sure glad I'm not a pastor. (laughs) I'm sure glad I don't have to do that. Um, Let me ask you a question. Do you have children or grandchildren who watch you, who are watching what you do and the things that you drink? And... uh, even let's just suppose for a second let's say you have freedom in this area and you'll be okay how will your children your daughters your sons how will your grandchildren do in this area because i want you to know what they see you do that's the line they'll start at and they'll usually go a step or two further as your pastor let me just say something you better not just run with this and not prayerfully give this a lot of thought and a lot of meditation and you better seek what the Lord has in mind for you there was a day and age in church almost no one had a bud almost nobody in church had a glass of wine it's almost gone the other way now we just assume well everybody can do it and here's what I want you to know as your pastor you better seek the Lord strong and hard and seek what he has in mind for you Because you've got some weaker brothers or sisters watching you, too. Paul's final thoughts, verse 24. The sins of some are obvious. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind them. 
In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. John Stott calls these verses the iceberg principle. You might want to write that down if you're taking a note, okay? The iceberg principle, I like this. And his point is this, um, nine-tenths of what a person really is, is hidden from view. And only a little bit of a person that you're seeing is actually true of them. In other words, it's going to take some time before you really know the character of a person. Most of us, we remain pretty hidden, and we can stay hidden for a long time. What he's really saying, verses 24 and 25, church, take your time in evaluating the character of your church leaders. Make sure you really know who they are before you put somebody in the role of leader, of pastor in the local church. Singles, (laughs) look at me right now. That means application for you. Nine-tenths of the person that you might think, oh, man, he's got nice muscles. And, and man, can he throw a ball? He has to be wonderful. Uh, Nine-tenths of who they really are is hidden. And I'm reading right now a book that I would suggest to you. And the book is entitled, How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk. Uh, It's a thick book. (laughs) It really is. And here's the number one instruction to how to avoid marrying a jerk. Are you ready? They say you never marry somebody until you've known them well for at least a year, preferably two years. That's the iceberg principle. Because so often we run and, well, they're wonderful, and we never examined fully. We never saw them in other situations, and and the other nine-tenths isn't so wonderful. And now you're stuck, and now it's bad. That's why Pastor Bob was the safest pastor we've ever hired. You understand that? Why is that? Because we knew him for 20 years before we hired him. He was a part. We knew who Bob was. All the iceberg was clear in Bob Cook. Okay? That, again, that's the idea here. Make sure you take time to evaluate carefully. I would, this applies to those of you who own business. You don't hire somebody until you thoroughly observe and examine and check out who you're hiring. applies in a lot of ways. Allow me to summarize as we draw to a close. First, principle number one, take good care of the pastors who work hard and work effectively in the church. Pay them well and then respect and appreciate them. Secondly, assume the best about pastors. Assume the best about others. Give each other the benefit of the doubt unless there's credible evidence and credible witnesses, and then the evidence is weighed very carefully. Third, if the pastor continues to sin and refuses to repent, resist the urge to sweep it under the rug. You're not doing God a favor. Matter of fact, that's disobedience to his book. Again, tell it to the church so they can take warning as well. Fourth, pastors are human and pr- prone to mess up and wander and be goofy. So don't be surprised when your pastor is human and frail and makes mistakes. Keep your eyes focused not on your pastors. Keep your eyes focused on who? Always. Always Jesus Christ, please. 
And finally, pastors and people are like icebergs. A lot of who we are is hidden from view. It's going to take time to evaluate character, and rarely will a church be sorry for taking time and being deliberate before they make somebody a church leader. Let's pray as we close. Lord, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that you care deeply about your church. You care deeply about protecting it from harm and destruction. So thank you for these details regarding those who lead your church as pastors. And I'm praying, Lord, that uh, today they might serve as good instructions and warnings, both for the church and for the pastors who are here at Walloon. So, Lord, as I close today, I want to pray for Pastor Bob and Barb and their children and their grandchildren. I want to pray for Pastor uh, Tim and Anita and their children. I, I want to pray for Pastor Jason and Laura and their three children. Lord, I pray for Pastor Jason and Kelly over at East Jordan. And Lord, I lift up Denise and I as well. We know the enemy would love to destroy the leaders in your church. So help us, Lord, to pay close attention to our lives and our mouths and our marriages. And most of all, Lord, help us as your body to keep our eyes and hearts focused on your Son, Jesus Christ. Because he's the awesome one. He's the perfect one. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the ruler and the, the master of each and every one of us. And may he be glorified in your church even today. It's for Jesus' name and for his sake we pray these things. Amen. Let's worship the Lord Jesus one last time in song. Would you stand with me? Let's, uh, let's close by singing to King Jesus.